0: Hi, I'm Lauren Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a long-time gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Hey, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and we are continuing on in Come Follow Me for Hebrews. And we're jumping into chapters 3 and 4 today. And we've got a lot to cover, so today we're going to answer the question about Uh, Moses, and why is he referred to so much, as well as the challenge for us to enter into God's rest. All right, so let's jump in, because we have a lot to cover, and it is some great stuff this time, scriptorians. So we left off in the last two episodes uh, talking about the book of Hebrews and who it was written to, and as you recall, it is written to first century Christians who probably came from a Jewish background, and hence the name, Hebrews. And here the author is going to remind us about just to really not fall back in our old ways. To not go back on maybe a lesser road or something that was where we had so much more opportunity, so much more potential. And that is very applicable to us today. So let's jump in and uh, let's see what he's going to say. All right. I am in. Uh, let me go back over to the English Standard English Standard in Hebrews 3, and these are really short uh, chapters, by the way. So it's let's jump in, verse 1. Therefore, holy, holy brothers and sisters, you who share a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken of later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the author here is telling us that jesus is greater than moses and, and i don't think he's trying to say that moses was bad or that the old testament is bad or anything he's he's building on what the people believed at the time and maybe what their temptation was is to go back to that what they were comfortable with and such a strong belief in in how uh moses was uh so there he's saying hey you know he, as great as he was Christ is the great high priest of our confession, he says, of our testimonies, of our belief. And and just as great as Moses was, Christ is all the better, right? And so he's not just a servant like Moses, he's actually the son. And so he is, is the greater. Then he continues on, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he, this is where this little story is referring back to the Old Testament story of Moses and the Exodus and the Passover and the people in the wilderness and what the author is assuming is maybe not quite like us is that this story is going to be just top of mind that you would know exactly what the story and the big quote we just read um, you would remember it and we probably don't quite as well as they did back then and so he's quoting back from the Old Testament and he's you remember the story of Moses it's it's a great story right he is this kind of miracle baby he's put in the little basket and he uh, is saved miraculously and then he grows up to come back and redeem his people and so as part of that remember the plagues and all of that in Egypt but in part of that he comes back against the evil king of the world Pharaoh and he uh, the last plague is the Passover And so at the Passover, they uh, take the sacrifice of the lamb and they are led out by God and they are saved and redeemed as being slaves. And then they wander in the wilderness. And how did it go when they were out there? Was it a great time out there in the wilderness? No, they didn't really do that well. So even though they had just come through this miraculous saving, including the Red Sea parting, they struggled and they get to The Promised Land. It takes about two years. They take about a year at Sinai, and take a little bit more, and they wander, and they get there, and they send out some spies. And the spies head into the Promised Land, and they come back, and they say, "What? They're like, oh, this is crazy. We can't go there. We're gonna get squashed like a bug. These are just giants, and they're just gonna crush us." And only two of the spies come back and and give an honest report. The rest are like, "Oh, we can't, we can't go there." And these are the same people. These are the same people that were at Sinai, that were at the Passover, that were at the deliverance of Egypt and Pharaoh and the Red Sea. It's the same people. And yet they are struggling and they're saying, oh, I don't know. We can't can't go there. That's too scary. We we can't enter into God's rest, into the promised land. And so he, uh, the author is referring us back to this story and he's saying, hey, just like Moses, as great as that was. We don't want to be like those ancient Israelites. So anytime we tell these stories of the Old Testament, we're, we're we're not just telling these stories because we're like, what a great story and how fantastic it's to tell us that this story is the same story in our lives. And so, I don't know, let's liken that to ourselves. Is there a time when maybe we've witnessed great things, when we've been part of God's great deliverance, when we've been part of the Passover, where we've witnessed God's sacrifice, where we've partaken of the bread and the water, and we've said, I will remember him, and then we get to something, we say, I don't, I don't know, that's pretty scary, um, I don't want to go there, or I don't remember what I was so strong about before, um, of course, right, of course, <laughs> that's why it's such a great story, is because it's our story. Um, And if it maybe isn't our story today, maybe it's someone in our family or friends or our society, or maybe we need to take a long look at ourselves. But I think the story of Moses and the children of Israel is our story. And so Hebrews is reminding us and the people then in the first century that, hey, don't harden your hearts and rebellion. Remember when you were being tested in the wilderness? Remember when they were wandering around and how he says, he says, don't. Don't put me to the test for 40 years when I was so provoked. And he says, they always go astray in their heart. And remember, your heart isn't just what you, uh, for Israelites, it isn't just where your feelings, but it's where your will and your mind, it's it's just your very self. So it's, hey, don't don't let your thoughts take you astray. Don't let your beliefs take don't take you astray. Don't let your will and your desire and your very inner selves take you astray. Um, you have not always known my ways. And he goes, ah, oh, you just you're not going to make it. So he, he quotes that story and then he goes on in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 or uh, verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you of uh, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have all come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original testimony. Oops, my screen went off. We hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief so why why is he saying that they didn't believe he's giving us a caution he's saying because we didn't believe we didn't have faith they didn't have faith back then don't let that happen to you don't harden your heart keep the faith and he says and i love me says you know strengthen each other strengthen each other now let's go on chapter four um therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem as if you have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they weren't united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Okay, so what is he what is he talking about with this rest and whatever Um, It's an old term. So think back, there might be a scripture in which God rested. It might be, yep, right in chapter one of Genesis, right at the end of the creation, there is a rest. And so there's this cadence of in the first day, right? There's a morning and a night of the first day and a morning and a night of the second day. And God creates the lights and he creates the firmament and he creates the uh, oceans. And then he creates the creatures that live there in the plants and then the people and on the last day he it doesn't doesn't have a night it's still a rest it's still his day and he he stops and he rests and and that rest i think is kind of a couple of things right it's not just this stopping but it is uh god's presence it's all the goodness that was in the garden of eden all the goodness that could be somewhere uh with god and so he's inviting us back into his presence. Was it the promised land? Could be, right? Could be for the Israelites, but I think it's something greater. He's saying, and that's what this author's saying. If it's still today, it couldn't have been the promised land. It has to be something greater. This rest, this invitation to enter back into all the goodness that God has for us. Is it heaven? Well, I, I, again, I think it's a little bit better than that, uh, or just not that easy to answer. I think it's bigger. I think God's rest is the peace that we can have now and the peace that we can have later. And, and the author here is telling us that don't be like the Israelites and stiff-necked, right? <laughs> don't be um, unfaithful and disbelieving, but, but believe, right? Have faith and don't fall back into those old complaining ways. Remember, uh, remember the faith because, it's worth it's worth it to have peace today and peace uh, later in God's rest. We enter back into God's rest, back into that seventh day. Um, and so he is going to tell us, how do we get there? How do we get there? So he says, um, let's see. He, he's still trying to convince us that today is the day that we could still enter the rest. It wasn't just the promised land. Um, but he comes on in about verse seven. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, there you go. There is one of the keys to, to, to changing is don't harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And he says, for if God had given them rest, uh, Joshua had given the rest of Joshua. So we're talking about um, the Israelites still. He goes back. So if Joshua had given them rest, if it had been the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whomever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give account, to much we must give account. I think he's saying here that this rest is still promised, right? Just go back to that original creation story, the Sabbath, right? The Lord ends on the last day and he stops. And the word stop is the same word as Sabbath in Hebrew. So it's he stops and then he Rests, And so the author here is telling us what, what remains is the Sabbath rest, the stopping, this pause for the people of God, this peace, this time at which we can set aside our burdens and our worries and our work and our effort and our trials. We can set it, that, that remains for us. And I don't think it's just in the future. I think the promise is twofold. I think the promise is today we can have that rest and we can have that rest in a future time as well. And so he's saying we should strive so nobody falls. Nobody goes back like the old disobedient Israelites. Um, and so he says, and how? Because the word of God is living, right? We, we cling to the scriptures, we teach each other, and it is going to help us attain that rest. What a great message. So he's he's telling us, boy, when we struggle, there's hope, right? Christ is a greater it's greater than Moses, there's more there, and he will help us if we um, do not harden our hearts. I think, too, he has this little end, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. Um, and he's going back to that idea of faith. Like, what do we really believe? Uh, and faith seems like it's about faithfulness. It's about actions. It's about what we do. So when we say, oh, I, I believe a lot of things, but do we really? What do we really believe? Well, you know, proof's in the pudding, or we have to prove it. We have to show it. We have to be it. Don't harden your hearts. Change inside, and it will show forth. And so, so he's saying, the Lord knows what's really deep inside. You can't hide that. He knows. And so don't falter. Don't be disobedient. Don't change your heart. It's okay. But I think he's going to say there's this great hope in Christ, that he's the one that can help, and he's the one that can change us. And that's exactly where he goes next. in time of need, so he's saying we we have someone that is on our side, and I love this insight into Christ's atonement. He suffered and he was tempted, so that he can understand us. It says every let uh, he's one who can. He is not una- It says he's he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted like we are, and I love that we can with confidence draw near the throne of grace. You don't have to crawl. You don't have to weep. You don't have to be, of course, we're going to be humble. But he's saying with confidence, because we have Christ on our side. We say, I am here. I'm with him. And I can be firm in my belief with Christ that I can approach the throne of grace. I can return to the Father. I can, I am worthy because I'm under Christ's benevolence, right? I am under the grace of, of Christ. So I can receive the mercy even in my time of need. Even when I'm the weakest, I can be confident. I can always come back. He's always there waiting, and I can confidently return because He was tempted. He knows us. That is the message of Hebrews 3 and 4 that Christ is there. Don't harden your hearts, but enter confidently into His grace. Well, that's it, Scriptorians. Let's head out until next time, and we will head into 567. Keep on reading.